Take your Bibles, join me in John chapter 17, please. As we continue our study through John's Gospel account on Sunday mornings, we are currently studying our Lord's Prayer on the night of His betrayal and shortly before His suffering was to begin, which was foreordained before the foundation of the world. John chapter 17, would you look with me please as I read verses 1 through 5. These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now we've already spent four weeks looking at the opening of this prayer. And two of those weeks, the last two weeks, we've spent on verse 3. Verse 3 is absolutely critical for mankind to get a hold of. It's a key doctrine. It's, it's what we all need to know when it comes to what is eternal life. Remember from verse 3, we took one week to consider how in the wake of textual criticism which swept through America in the 1800s, there were a handful of religions that cropped up under the banner of Christianity, unfortunately, and they became established in our country. But the reason you'll find a common ground in those religions is they didn't like what the Bible taught concerning heaven and hell. They didn't like the idea of hell. And in some cases, I can't figure out why, but they even changed the idea of heaven. And because of this disagreement with the Bible, and because they didn't like the idea that a loving God would have a place called hell for those who reject His Son, these religions began to crop up, which took root. And in the process of them tinkering with what the Bible says, they created their own God. They came up with their own idea of God. And they had to change God's character in order to change what the Bible clearly says. But the Bible is dogmatic concerning heaven and hell. There's no gray area with God. He makes it very clear. He's not trying to hide this from us. And we just need to let the Bible say what the Bible says. And we don't need to twist the Word of God simply because we don't like what the Bible may say over here or over there. Just let the Word of God stand. Amen? God gave us His Word because this is what He means for us to know. And God says, don't you change this word. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 4.12, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. Joshua 1.7 says, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. But then God says, Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. Proverbs 30 verses 5 and 6 says, Every word of God is pure. Add thou not unto His words. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. When you decide that you are smarter than God 
and you know better than what His Word says, and you decide to add to or take away from God's Word, I want to tell you this morning, you are robbing yourself of a blessing. Not only that, you're bringing upon yourself the judgment of God. That's what God says, don't mess with my Word. It's forever settled in heaven. You don't have to change it. And God says, don't add to it, don't take away. Because if you do, you're literally playing with fire. Just let the Word of God say what it says. Don't try to change it because you may not agree with something. Don't apologize for what it says. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 3-4, Let God be true, but every man a liar. There's a literal heaven. There's a literal hell. And we need to come to terms with the fact that God is a God of love, and God is a God who will exercise His wrath. Then last week, we talked about how eternal life and the true Christian life are both defined as knowing God through Jesus Christ. Eternal life is not defined as a place. The true Christian life is not defined as going to a place. But they are both summed up by knowing God through Jesus Christ according to John chapter 17 and verse 3. True Christianity is walking with God. Talking with God. Listening to God through His Word. It's having a relationship with God. Unfortunately, many people's relationship with God consists of showing up maybe once a week. Come on now. Because here's what people do. They kind of treat church like, well, I see you, I, I treat God. I'll see you next week. And God just becomes this thing that they treat with a once a week thing. If that. Now imagine you got married to somebody and you said, hey, I'll see you next week. I'll see you next week. I might see you Wednesday. I don't know. I'm not going to talk to you Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And see, that's how we treat God. And we wonder why we don't have a a good walk with God, why we don't have an active Christian life, a blessed life with God, because we don't have a relationship with Him like we should. Amen? If you know God, then you have eternal life right now, presently. You don't have to wait to possess it. And if you have an active relationship with God, then you are experiencing the true Christian life. The main question from last week was, do you know God... And does God know you? The question isn't, do you know about God? The question isn't, do you believe that there is a historical figure named Jesus? But the question is, do you have a relationship with God at this very moment? Right now, can you say, I have a relationship with God? This is all that's going to count at the end of this life. Your eternal destiny will not be determined by whether or not your good works outweigh your bad works. And that's what so many of the so-called Christian religions are teaching. But only one thing will matter when you die, and that's whether or not you know God. In the song, My Hope is in the Blood, the second verse reads, Only one thing will matter when the time shall come to die. The treasures of this world won't mean a thing, but the joy of knowing Jesus will vanish all my fear. You see, it's all about knowing Christ. Jesus said many will try to use the excuse that their good works have been enough that they are to be entitled to enter into the joy of the Lord. But it won't amount to anything, all the good works you've done, if you don't know Christ. That's not me talking. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? 
and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So what is the basis of your relationship with God this morning? Is it through Christ alone, or are you a checklist Christian, where if you can only get this over here done a little bit better and and tidied up, or if you can get this over here fixed and, and cleaned up, then you can have this relationship with God. But there's a catch in all of this, because I want you to understand, if you want victory in your life, and you're trying to get victory over here and there, and you're trying to do this checklist, if you want victory in those things, you have to have a relationship with God in order to get the victory. But people are, are, are getting it backwards, and they're saying, if I can get all of this right, then I can have a healthy relationship with God. Wait a minute, you're never going to get everything right without God. And so we can't use it that way. We have to be careful how we look at this. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 12, and 13, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, we come to Christ and we have a relationship with God because we are sick. Because we need His help. We don't come to Christ when we finally like everything just the way we want it to be. But we come to Christ just as we are. Amen. We come to Christ as we are and He receives us as we are. And He begins to do a work in us and through us that will then transform us outwardly. But so many Christians, so many people, they want to get the outside fixed up. They want to get the outside looking right before they think they can have a relationship with God. And so, listen, Jesus says, I don't want your sacrifice. But that's what people are doing. If I get this right and I get that right and I do this... God will be pleased with my sacrifice. God says, no, I just want to give you mercy. The only sacrifice I want from you is the praise of your lips. Thanksgiving of your heart. That's the one that God is pleased with. You say, well, how come my sacrifices don't amount much? This is why. Because Christ is our sacrifice. Amen. Christ is our sacrifice. And what are you going to add to Christ's sacrifice? What are you going to add to it? So are you living the true Christian life today? Or are you hung up in your checklist Christianity? If you'll learn just to walk with God, develop a relationship with God, a deeper relationship with God, then you'll find that your checklist is getting better because you stopped focusing on all that stuff and you started focusing on just walking with God. Now for today, I hope you're not tired of hearing preaching from this verse because I still haven't had liberty from the Spirit to move past John 17, 3 just yet. And it reminded me of the account where George Whitfield, who was a preacher in the first great awakening in American colonies, everywhere he would go, he would preach on, you must be born again. It was estimated he preached on it over 3,000 times. And finally, somebody said, why do you keep preaching on you must be born again? He said, because you must be born again. And I kind of feel that way about John 17.3. You may be saying, how many times do we have to hear a message on John 17.3? I mean, I understand that uh, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom them sin. Why do we have to hear another message? Because this is life eternal, that ye may know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom He has sent. This is the question you have this morning. No matter how much you want to act like you're not paying attention, this is the question you have. This is what brought you to church. This is what ultimately, for those who are members here, what ultimately got you into that is because at some point in your life, you started wondering, what happens after death? What's going to happen to my body? What's going to happen to my soul? 
This verse is so needed today. And I want to highlight this verse again this week. Because if you'll grasp verse 3, it'll change your life. It's such a clear definition of eternal life. And this is exactly what all mankind wants to know the truth about. What, I don't know what started your search for eternal life, but for many people it was just the simple questions we have as kids. Where did God come from? What is eternal life? Where am I going to spend eternity? How do I get there? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Uh, how do I go to heaven? How do I avoid it? Uh, all these questions started to enter our mind. Is the Bible view on the afterlife even correct to begin with? Or are one of the religions of this world correct? Is there even a place of eternal blessing and joy? Or is this idea of, of life after death just something man invented in order to make us feel better about the fact that we have an inevitable appointment with death? Now here's something to ponder. Almost every society, past and present, and probably every society to be honest with you, has some sort of teaching about life after death. And, and this just intrig intrigues me to think about because when you think about the tribes in the back jungles of the Amazon rainforest, why do they talk about the afterlife? What has led to them getting to the point where they say, I'm going to carve this piece of wood, I'm going to fashion this stone, I'm going to, I'm going to form this metal, and I'm going to call that my God. And then I'm going to teach my tribe that they need to sacrifice to this God, appease this God if they want to have a better afterlife. Why does this happen? Cut off from civilization. Why is it that there's a desire for religion? A desire for the afterlife? What is going on there? Why would a people who have been isolated from mainstream religious teachings decide that there's an afterlife? Why would a people look up at the sky and say that the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets are gods? Why would that happen? Why would a people look to the animal kingdom and decide, that's my God? Hey, all of this happened in the Bible. All of that. So much so, Moses went up to the mountain to receive the law. When he came back down, they had made a molten calf and said, these be thy gods which led thee out of Egypt. Why does this happen? We know the ancient Egyptians believed in many false gods and we've learned through archaeology that they believed in an afterlife because of how they buried their dead. They put artifacts in there that they thought would help them in the afterlife. That would benefit them. We learned the same about ancient China in the 200s B.C. In 1974, farmers discovered a mausoleum uh, in a field there and inside of this was 8,000 soldiers. It's called the Terracotta Army. 8,000 soldiers, 130 chariots pulled by 520 horses, and an additional 150 cavalry horses. And all of this was placed there. All of this was done with the express purpose of protecting the first emperor of unified China in his afterlife. They built an army, sculpted an army, buried it with him because they believed there was an afterlife. Are you following what I'm trying to say? Every society has had some kind of teaching. And it is this search for what happens after death that has led to the world's major religions. It's on the mind of all human societies is all I'm saying. All backgrounds. 
Here's just a sampling of the world's major religions. I did a, a search for the world's major religions. <laughs> this is what came up. Hinduism teaches reincarnation based upon karma. There are three types of karma. Your past life, your present life, and your lives not yet lived. Karma will determine in what entity one will be born in the next life. And the goal is to eventually be released from the rebirth cycle and reach what they call uh, moksha. And that is a state of enlightenment which is achieved through a series of good deeds. It's a works-based religion. Good deeds from one life to the next. And once moksha is reached, there's no more suffering. There's what they call ultimate self-realization. That comes into focus. And once that comes into focus, you have now broken the rebirth cycle. And the final step is their idea of heaven. Buddhism also teaches reincarnation. What one will be in the next life is determined by how they lived in their past lives. A work-based salvation. Is everybody catching this? And the final goal of Buddhism is to reach nirvana, which is a transcendent state in which there is neither suffering, desire, nor sense of self. And the subject becomes released from the effects of karma, and the cycle of death and rebirth have now ceased. In Sikhism, it shares a lot of similarities with Hinduism and Buddhism, but they don't believe in an afterlife in a traditional sense. But the works in this life determine the life form a soul will take in the next life. There's really kind of no end, but there is a desire to reach their idea of enlightenment. Taoism also rejects the traditional afterlife as well, but life and death are just a continuation of Tao. It means the way. Death is neither feared nor desired, and instead a person just enjoys living their life. There's just an endless participation of death in life. Islam teaches life after death. But the rewards you get are going to be based upon your works, and whether or not you get into heaven or hell is based upon your works. So again, all of these are works-based religions. And also on the list of the world's most popular was Judaism, but they're the least dogmatic out of all, all of them. And so they don't necessarily, they don't believe in a hell. They do believe in afterlife to an extent. They do believe in a resurrection, but theirs is a little more different. So that was a very basic run through of the world's major religions. And I said all that just to say this, everywhere you go on this earth, you'll find the idea of an afterlife. It's everywhere. It permeates every society. And whether it's Christian or not, you find this idea that there's an afterlife. So the two questions that I began to ask myself in preparation for this message was, why do people invent gods? And no matter their conclusions, why do people naturally contemplate the idea of an afterlife? And I have to conclude that the reason for this, the reason for mankind's desire to know what happens about life after death is because God has placed that desire within all of us to contemplate the afterlife. And by the way, because of this undeniable pursuit by mankind to have their questions about life after death answered, I believe further disproves the theory of evolution. Can you name any other creature that's concerned about what happens when they die? I can't. Many within the theory of evolution community teach that humans evolved from chimpanzees. And the reason is we, we supposedly, I don't know how to disprove or prove, but we share 98.6% of the same DNA structure. And if that's true, that further disproves the theory of evolution because if all it takes is 1.4% to make all this difference, we did not evolve from chimpanzees. 
Amen. Hey, I don't see chimpanzees making gods. I don't see them worried about the afterlife. I don't see them worshiping. I don't see them gathering for church. I don't see them contemplating all of this. It, to me, it just further disproves the idea of evolution. The desire for an afterlife and the desire to have questions answered surrounding an afterlife are only found in human beings. Because we were created by God with this desire. And at some point, we all seek for answers to our questions. Is this all there is to life? Do we just cease to exist? Or is there something more after our life upon this earth? Are we just left to cross our fingers and hope, man, I I hope I get in, whatever it is. And I want to tell you today that God has put this desire in us to understand eternal life so that we will begin to search for answers. God didn't want robots that would just be designed to love Him without even having a concern on their own part. But God created mankind because He wanted people who would be convicted to love Him, that would choose to love Him, choose to serve Him. He wants us to know we have eternal life. God put this desire within us to lead us to Christ who is the only mediator between God and man. If you seek Him with all your heart, you shall find Him. God isn't hiding. God isn't playing mental games with you. The one true God says in Isaiah 1.18, Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God wants to have the conversation with you about life after death. He wants to tell you of eternal life, sin, death, heaven, hell, mercy, truth, grace, love, and wrath. So much so that God robed Himself in flesh and He lived upon this earth a perfect life to be our perfect sacrifice. And He gave Himself upon the cross in your place so that you could be reconciled to God. He wants to have a relationship with you. And God clearly defines what this is in John 17.3. And this is life eternal. That they might know Thee the only true God in Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. The ultimate end of our seeking for answers is to understand our need of Christ is the only way of salvation. And Christ is the only way to enter into a relationship with God. Jesus said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by Me. And in our search for truth, most of us here today, most of us here today, became convinced of our sinful condition before God and we became convinced that the Bible is true and what will happen to those who reject Christ as their Savior. And listen to me, there's no, get this please, there is no peace in religion. There's no peace in religion. Even the so-called Christian religions. There's no peace. Because you can ask them if they know whether or not they have eternal life and they'll say, I don't know. I hope so. Because they're always striving for it. They're always working for it. They're always hoping for it. And while the religions of this world have no everlasting peace, and while the religions of this world are forced to answer, I, have, I hope I reach eternal life by being good enough. I want to tell you this morning that it's only the blood-bought child of God which can say 
with all certainty and nothing wavering. Yes, I know I have eternal life. I know I have eternal life because I know God through Jesus Christ my Lord. And His blood has cleansed me from all unrighteousness. His righteousness has been imputed to my account, the Bible says. Because He who knew no sin became sin for me that I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. I don't have a hope so salvation. I have a no so salvation. This same John wrote in John 1 uh, 1 John 5.13 These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. I know God is my Father. I know Christ is my Savior. I know the Holy Spirit indwells me. And I know God has given the Holy Spirit as the earnest of my inheritance being the purchased possession of Christ. And I know I have this not because I'm worthy. It's not because I've been baptized. It's not because I've joined a church. It's not because I've signed a card. It's not because I was drugged to church. But I know that I know that I have eternal life because He is worthy. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Do you know Him today? Would you answer this question please? Do you know God right now? And does God know you? Do you know Him right this very second? If you don't know Him yet, you need to keep seeking. Because He promised, if you seek Me, you shall find Me. On the day of judgment, we're all going to stand before God. And the determining factor on whether or not we enter into the joys of our Lord is what we decided about Jesus Christ. It's not going to be if our good works outweigh our bad works. Although that's what religions are teaching. It's not what God's holy word teaches. The Bible is clear that your eternal destination is something which is settled before your physical death happens. In other words, once you die, that's it. It's determined. You can't change it after you die. And your eternal life is determined by one thing. Do you know God? You either accept Christ as your Savior or you reject Christ and His free gift of salvation. Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Unless we are the generation that is raptured out of here, we will enter into eternity through the means of death. It's appointed unto man once to die. I want to tell you this morning, listen to me, you have an appointment with death. It's appointed. We don't accidentally die in God's eyes. You may die through this virus. It may be through what we call an accident. It may be through some illness. It may just be through old age. But either way, it's appointed that you're going to die. And after your appointment with death, you will stand in judgment. And without getting into all that, all the nuts and bolts of that right now, I'll just simply say this real quick, maybe to kind of simplify it all. You will be judged by your decision on Jesus Christ. Did you accept Christ or did you reject Christ? Did you have a relationship with the one true God through Christ? 
Or did you choose your own idea of what God should be because you're smarter than God's Word? Do you know the God of this Bible? Or have you invented a God that you think God should be? If you're lost and you're seeking for answers, it's because the one true God has placed that desire within you. If you're born again this morning, then you have already had your answers concerning eternal life. 1 John 5.11 says, and this is the record that God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So I ask you again, do you know that you have eternal life? We're not guaranteed our next breath. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. You have an appointment with death. Where are you going to be at in eternity? I don't get up here and preach like this because I want to hear myself talk. But I am genuinely concerned about the eternal destination of your soul. And I know what Christ has done for me. And He can do the same for you. And it's not through religion. But it's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know Him? This is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. Let's pray, please.